Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, this is Forum. I'm Scott Schaefer. It is a new day in California. As of midnight, we said goodbye to color-coded tiers and social distancing and capacity restrictions on most businesses and activities. The reason is simple. We have now administered over 72% of Californians 18 and older have received at least one dose of vaccine. 72% of Californians. That's among the highest rates of vaccination in the United States. So what comes next? Now that we can mostly set aside our masks and do the things we've been avoiding for the past year, the state's top health official and others join us. That's next on Forum, right after the news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Scott Schaefer. Well, at times over the past 15 months, it seemed like this day would never come, but here it is. As of today, California heads toward a full reopening of its economy with COVID-19 infections at their lowest levels in 14 months in the state. Gone are capacity restrictions on most businesses, and physical distancing requirements are also lifted. There are still questions to be answered, like whether workers or customers will still have to wear a mask and when. Joining us first to share the latest on what the reopening will look like across the state is Dr. Mark Galley. He's secretary of the California Health and Human Services Agency. Dr. Galley, good morning. Uh, Good morning, Scott. Thanks for having me this morning. Well, it's a big day for California and for you as well. And I'm wondering, as I said at the top, I can imagine there were days you thought this day would never come. But what in your mind is the significance of these restrictions being lifted today? Well, first, I think it's a testimony, and let me start by thanking all Californians for their tremendous work coming together over the last many, many months, over a year, to get to this day. And it means that we've done an incredible job getting through some ups and downs, and with the vaccine success here in California, that we can go back. It's not entirely normal like we had before the pandemic, but it's getting pretty close, and people can enjoy so much of what they missed over the last year, and that's the significance. Uh, it's certainly not true that the pandemic is over, but how will we know when it's over? Well, I think uh, for many of us, we'll know it's over when we're not worried about significant outbreaks, when we're not worried about uh, groups that are still unprotected. I'm a pediatrician, father of four, think a lot about the young kids who don't yet have access to vaccines. So those are some of the things we want to see, everybody having a chance to get vaccinated 
we don't see large outbreaks in in our communities. And, uh, uh, you know, those are going to be the parts of this uh, journey over the next many months that we will be watching before we declare it is officially over. You uh, and the governor and uh, everyone involved in this have been saying and talking for months about equity when it comes to vaccinations. And although California is doing quite well, 72 percent of uh, Californians over the age of 18 have been uh, at least gotten at least one shot. Uh, But if you look at the numbers uh, from the state, 57 percent of blacks not vaccinated, 55 percent of Latinos not vaccinated, compared to 38 percent of whites and 16 percent of Asian Americans. Uh, What is the state doing about that? And and what does that tell us? Well, first, it tells us that we have more work to do. Um, This entire pandemic has been focused around equity issues, disproportionately impacted communities, largely brown and black communities, uh, low-income communities across the state who uh, didn't have some of the luxuries to protect themselves throughout the pandemic. And and, uh, really now with vaccines as the ultimate protector at the moment against COVID, really the work in front of us is to get more vaccine into those communities, make it easier to get vaccinated, answer all the questions people have that might just want to know a little bit more, see a little bit more evidence, have a bit more time pass. So we're going to, as a state, as communities, as counties, remain prepared to vaccinate all Californians, but in particular, those hard hit communities to get those numbers up. And we know uh, uh, one isn't surprised by the time that sometimes it takes to get certain groups uh, comfortable, answer those questions. And we're putting in all that work day in and day out to make sure that that does happen. We're talking to Dr. Mark Galley. He's secretary of California's uh, Health and Human Services Agency. We're going to have him with us until about 920. And if you'd like to uh, send us a comment or a question, you can do that uh, via Twitter and Facebook or at KQED Forum. Or you can email us. It's forum at kqed.org. Uh, Dr. Galley, uh, there's a lot of questions about masks this morning. Uh, by and large, we do not have to wear masks, certainly when we're outside, but it gets a little squishy when we go inside to a business or a workplace. Uh, what is the guidance today on that, and what will it be at the end of the week when I'm told the governor, if he has to, will issue an executive order? Yeah, so first off, today's significance is both about the reopening we set out June 15th, deliberately around our vaccine status, around where we'd be with our sort of hospitalizations, and we've met those milestones. But we also said today was the day that California would completely align with the CDC's mask guidance from uh, the middle of last month. That focuses on still requiring all people vaccine vaccinated or not to wear masks in certain settings like public transportation, that's airports, train stations, buses, in hospitals, in jails and prisons, and some shelters like homeless shelters or emergency shelters. Uh, But by and large, outside of those, individuals who are fully vaccinated don't need to wear a mask. I think some people have said, well, how do we tell who's vaccinated, who's not? Uh, We put out guidance last week endorsing these masking rules that the CDC has put out, but also telling businesses that, look, simply what we need you to do and want you to do is put up uh, some notice, let people know that if you're unvaccinated or not fully vaccinated, you should still be required to wear a mask. And by entering a business without a mask, you're declaring yourself vaccinated. And if you don't meet that requirement, 
you should put on a mask. We're hoping businesses have some masks that are provided for people who have forgotten it so that we can keep those indoor higher risk settings still safe while people are still becoming, uh, getting vaccinated as we go. Younger kids, different issue. We're still going to see some masking uh, for the time being in our indoor K through 12 settings and young, young, you know, young people settings. But outside, I'm encouraging my own kids. They've been looking forward to it. Kind of that mask-free summer outdoors for young people, being able to play around, enjoy the outdoors that California is famous for. So uh, we'll be we'll be seeing more news on that as as the information evolves from the CDC. We work closely with the CDC to get that message out. When it comes to workplaces, Scott, yes, the uh, Cal OSHA uh, guidance uh, uh, on masking is uh, set to come out later this week. Uh, the governor is certainly looking forward to having that immediately align with where we are with the CDC and California Department of Public Health guidance. So uh, having all of that come together this week, later this week, I think is going to be important for consistency and clarity. And I think it's going to give some workers who uh, have become fully vaccinated a chance to also take off that mask. And so just to be clear, there is because of the administrative code and so on, there can be a lag time between a rule being announced by an agency like Cal OSHA and it taking effect. But the governor, I believe, said he will uh, issue an executive order to expedite that so that it happens more quickly. Is that correct? Yeah, it, it, exactly. Once Cal OSHA uh, moves on on the direction, I think many anticipate that they will be moving. The governor's executive order will help make that take effect immediately, uh, uh, essentially eliminating the lag between the announcement and the adoption of that final rule. That's exactly right. We still have counties like uh, Lassen was called out by the governor yesterday at his press conference. I think there's only 22 percent of people up there vaccinated uh, compared to, say, 70 percent in San Francisco, 75 percent in Marin. Um, what do you what do you do about a county like Lassen? Well, I mean, we continue to um, beat the drum around vaccines. You keep on making it easy and available. Uh, you know, we are, as a state, being ready for outbreaks. We know that this virus, if you are unprotected, if you haven't been uh, infected, you aren't vaccinated, this virus will likely find you and cause you to become infected. And when we see outbreaks in counties like Lassen or others where we don't see as high a vaccine penetration rate, we know that we're going to have to support those individuals through hopefully mild courses of COVID. Some will need to be hospitalized. But we also believe that those moments are going to be ones where community members will decide, look, maybe this is the time to get vaccinated. Much of the state is it's becoming more normal. So we're seeing counties like Lassen is still having a bit more. They're a little earlier in the book on, on COVID vaccines. So there's chapters to still be written. And so we keep uh, up hope in the public health sphere that we will still see people there and, and counties around it uh, uh, getting vaccinated. And, and so is it fair to say that at this point, with perhaps the most vulnerable, like seniors and others having been vaccinated, that those who are getting sick are maybe a little healthier, a little younger, just not vaccinated? Is that fair to say? I, I think it's fair to say, but we also know that just because you're younger doesn't mean that you as an individual might not get very sick might not need to be hospitalized, even need um, uh, respiratory support in an ICU setting. So we don't take that lightly in any way. Uh, thankfully, we've protected so many of our older, most vulnerable Californians, but those who are unvaccinated still should be cautious, right? And, and so we encourage them to get vaccinated to avoid some of these important 
uh, consequences of getting COVID. Not to mention, Scott, the, the piece that we have a lot to learn about still is the long-term impacts of COVID. Uh, we're seeing some of those early impacts in studies from across the nation and the globe, but we still have a lot to learn. So we don't take it lightly, even if you don't get quite sick for a week or two, the long-term consequences of COVID are something we want to make sure we avoid. Other states, as you know, Dr. Gelly, have been open for weeks uh, in varying degrees. And, you know, the governor's critics have said he kept those restrictions that are lifted as of midnight uh, today on too long, longer than necessary. To that, you would say what? Well, I would say that, uh, you know, COVID has taught us that your local conditions matter. And California, we've been, uh, you know, cognizant of what our local conditions are what our communities are, how they're structured, who lives in those communities, and how we ultimately protect the public health of our state. And so we believe that we've made decisions without bias, without prejudice against what other states have done to really guide where California should go. And today's a proud day because as planned for the last many months, we've gotten to this day with seeing case rates come down. We're below two, per, two cases per 100,000 per day. We're in the yellow tier ourselves statewide, if you were. Um, even though we're done with the tiers, I'll just remind you that we brought this state down to such a low rate of infection that we can move about the cabin, if you will, with a lot of confidence and safety. Um, so other states have had different paths. They've had different conditions to deal with. I'm grateful they've had the autonomy to do what they needed to do. But we believe we chose a path in California that not only has gotten us to this point where we can be uh, safe in many ways from COVID, but that our economy is really humming, that a lot of good things are happening here in California. And this recovery is really uh, starting to take off. All right, Dr. Mark Galley, Secretary of California Health and Human Services. Thank you so much for all the work you've done in the past 15 months. I can't imagine how tough it's been. And thanks for helping the state get through it. Yeah, Scott, thanks for having me this morning. And thanks to all the listeners for their great work over the last year. All right. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to broaden the conversation a little bit. And I'll give out the phone number if you want to join us. It's 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. Or you can get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. We're talking about the lifting of all the colored tiers and the reopening of California. More to come. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. Welcome back to Forum. Scott Schaefer here this hour. We're talking about the reopening of California, the end of social distancing, and for the most part, masks, not entirely. Uh, we're going to be joined now by a couple of additional guests. Aaron Alday is health reporter for the San Francisco Chronicle, has been covering this all throughout the last 15 months. And Aaron, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. And also with us for this segment, Lori Thomas, executive director of the Golden Gate Restaurant Association. She's also the owner of two San Francisco restaurants. Lori, welcome to you as well. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I'm going to give out the phone number one more time in case you want to join us, and I'll get to some calls in a minute, 866-733-6786. Aaron, first of all, you I assume you were listening to Dr. Galley. Uh, anything jump out at you? 
Um, you know, I not especially he's been kind of, you know, talking up, you know, vaccinations, how important it is to kind of get to this last guest. But I think, you know, they're pretty committed to this line that that we're ready. You know, I think that's been a really powerful message throughout the last couple of months that, you know, we are really at a place now where they feel confident. I think it's just really remarkable that somebody like Dr. Gallic has been, you know, pretty conservative, pretty, um, you cautious. know, a lot of warnings, exactly, I'm very cautious, and that he's ready to say, no, let's do this, you know, go out there and live your lives is still just every time I kind of hear from him, it's like, really? <laughs> Yeah. And Lori, uh, these pandemic restrictions, I think it's fair to say, have hit the restaurant and bar industry as hard, if not harder than anyone in terms of businesses. Um, What impact has it had, especially right here in the Bay Area? Well, I mean, it's had a devastating financial impact. I understand the the health impact, and I'm very proud of what we've been able to achieve in San Francisco. Um, But the financial impact for our workers, especially, and our business owners has been devastating. Um, Many of us were closed for at least seven months, if not not completely, until folks were able to get to the 50% inside mark a couple months ago. And uh, a lot of layoffs uh, and, of course, some some closures, some out-of-business signs and for-lease signs. Give us a sense of that uh, in terms of just how tenuous was it and what was the, you know, what was the count in terms of, uh, you know, restaurants and bars that are gone? Well, you know, it's been a really rough 15 months and um, our industry and and the hotel and tourist industry took it super hard because we were forced to, like I say, pretty much close completely except for the to go component. Um, we've seen, we, we don't know, to be honest with you, what the final, you know, once the dust has settled, what the final uh, toll will be. Uh, we are waiting to try to get some more data in terms of permit renewals. I just requested an IT request from our Department of Public, um, our Department of Environmental Health, excuse me, to run some numbers on the permit renewals for this coming year. Uh, but we know that the California Restaurant Association has estimated a 50% closure rate throughout, um, throughout California. Um, again, we're not really sure. A lot of it depends on who can get the federal aid and who can't? And there's still a lot of need out there. Yeah. As you know, other states have handled this very differently. Florida, Texas uh, have certainly been uh, sort of bragging uh, that they've been open for business for quite a long time. I'm wondering, you know, to what extent did restaurant owners here wish that California had either handled it more like Florida did, uh, or at least differently than the state did handle it? Well, I think there's a lot of different opinions on that. But again, I want to reiterate and thank the mayor and Dr. Aragon and more recently, Dr. Philip and, and Dr. Colfax for trying to continue to work with the business community to do what they felt was safe uh, as well as possible. I will tell you the sort of nail in the coffin for many people was when we had to go into that deep purple closure in early uh, December, excuse me, December 6th. And that that caused a lot of folks in our industry to throw in the towel and, you know, physically leave this industry from a work perspective. So that was really tough, the December, January, early February closures. And the outside, the ban on outside dining, when I didn't think there was, I thought that I, my sense was the evidence was weak, that uh, it was being spread outside. Uh, yeah. Was that a particularly tough rule to have to follow? Yeah, that was frustrating. In particular, again, like I say, we lost December, right? And 
and um, the outdoor dining was being socially distanced, uh, had a lot of airflow. We saw the governor re-clarify, you know, there, there could be uh, only two non-adjacent sides. Um, so if you were following that guidance, there, there should have been airflow. And, and we, you know, we fought hard to, to not have outdoor dining closed. Um, and that, you know, that's why it's so important we continue to keep outdoor dining in, in all of our, uh, you know, cities across uh, San Francisco. All right. Let's, uh, excuse me. Across the city, across the state. Yeah. All right. Let's go to the phones now. And again, I'll give out the number. It's 866-733-6786. Let's go to Michael in Oakland. Good morning. Hi. Good morning. Um, so it is excellent public policy to say that people who have been vaccinated don't need to wear masks. That's perfectly justified by the science. It's perfectly sensible to then say people that have not been vaccinated should continue to wear masks for obvious virological reasons. It's completely insane to say that businesses have the option of having people decide that for themselves on the honor system. Um, there are lots of people who will get into active fights to avoid wearing masks. If you make it so easy as to say you can just not wear a mask because you self-certify that you've been vaccinated, when the same people that don't get vaccinated are very largely overlapping with people who wear a mask because they think it's all a hoax. Yeah. Uh, it's nuts. Yeah, like, let me. We, they're they're setting up a vaccine verification system. It ought to be mandatory. Laurie, let me put that to you. I'm, I'm guessing a lot of businesses just don't want to be in the vaccine verification business. Well, I don't know that it's not want to be. It's that we're not equipped to be. Um, you know, the big stadiums, like let's say the you know the Warriors Stadium or things where they have gates to go through with trained security uh, folks to to check. Um, are one thing. Uh, numerous restaurants with multiple entrances and, you know, young staff at the door, that's another thing. When I've, again, spoken with Dr. Aragon about it, he said the thing that's most important is that all of our staff are vaccinated. That should prevent, um, you know, the staff from, from, from getting sick. So the people that are really putting themselves at risk, honestly, are the unvaccinated people. But we are, we are, and I've spoken to every restaurateur I've spoken to in the past two days is going to follow the guidance that Dr. Galley said a couple of days ago. And, and that is that it will be a self-attestation thing. And we're very lucky in San Francisco. We have a lot of people vaccinated. Um, in fact, um, the second highest group is our, is our Latinx group. Uh, the, the, the white population trails after that. Um, and we've done so much work to get our workers vaccinated, and that's what we're going to continue to focus on. Aaron Alde, what are your thoughts about that? Uh, the governor did yesterday mention that they'll be rolling, the state will be rolling out a digital version of your Vax card uh, shortly. More details, I think, later this week. Uh, that'll make it easier, so you don't have to have that card in your wallet or purse. But um, you know, there there is going to be this tension between the vaccinated and the unvaccinated for a while, and the mask wearers. Yeah, I mean, for sure, that's going to be an issue. I think. What it comes down to is that the state really didn't want to do these vaccine passports, right? Like we didn't, there's a lot of sort of equity and kind of ethical issues behind vaccine passports and behind sort of requiring that sort of, um, you know, proof of vaccination, proof of status to be able to kind of go back and live your lives. So I think that that's really factoring in here a lot. And also, you know, the state doesn't want to, you know, take on that kind of ethical, moral kind of responsibility. And it is, you know, arguably unfair that they put that burden on these, these businesses that either have to say, well, we're going with the self-attestation model, or we're going to be sort of, 
you know, the people that have to make that that kind of ethical call of like, who are we going to allow in here? And, and what does that mean? And, you know, our, our, even if you put in place your business that puts in place, you know, a mass mandate and requires proof, now you're in that position of, of enforcing it, which is a whole other kind of kind of problem for certain businesses. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, there's not really a good solution here. And I think what Lori said is really the kind of bottom line, which is the people who aren't vaccinated and are making that you know, decision to go out and not wear a mask, that's kind of on them at this point. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess there are, certainly there are some people, I don't know how big a percentage of the unvaccinated it is, but they, you know, can't get it for one reason or another due to health issues. But I think that's a vanishingly small percentage would be, would be my guess. Michael, thanks. And for those the... folks are going to mask. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Michael, thanks for the call. Uh, let's go now to Sunnyvale and Shannon, you're next. Welcome. Shannon, are you there? Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, go right ahead. Yeah, yeah. so I'm calling because uh, my wife and I have been invited to a 4th of July barbecue that's outside of the Bay Area in, I guess it's uh, Sutter County or something. And um, I have two kids, two boys, nine and three. Obviously, neither have been vaccinated. Um, My wife and I were having a spirited conversation about if we should go or not. Um, Both of us have been vaccinated. we don't know the percentage or who is or who isn't vaccinated at this barbecue. Um, and uh, I would like to know what the recommendations are for a situation like this. Yeah, it's kind of a doctor question. And uh, we're going to be hearing from uh, Grant Colfax uh, in the next part of the hour. But Aaron Alday, uh, this is the kind of conversation that parents and all kinds of people are having, whether or not to wear a mask, especially for kids who aren't even eligible to get a vaccine. Yeah. And, you know, I've, I've done quite a bit of reporting on, on this topic. Like I've talked to a lot of folks um, for stories. And I mean, the truth is there isn't an, an answer. Like there's a, it's unfortunate, but I mean, it's kind of on the parents to sort of make these calls now um, and decide kind of what their comfort level is, um, you know, take in all the information they can get. You know, how I would ask, like, you know, how, how many people are going to be at this event? I would probably look at the case rates in that county. I mean, again, this is what... The, the experts have sort of said to me that they would do with their own kids, you know, is this going to be a really big party? Is it going to be entirely outside? How, you know, is there a lot of transmission happening in that county? How are your kids about wearing masks? Are they going to be really comfortable wearing masks the entire time they're there, even if everybody around them is not wearing masks? Um, so those would all be sort of things that you would want to factor into that, that question as you're sort of processing, do we feel good about this or not? Um, but I think, you're absolutely right. Parents are just going to be dealing with these these kind of topics. Parents of, of little kids, pretty much through the summer, this reopening is going to be a, a kind of wiggly thing for them. <laughs> Shannon, I'm curious. Did you ask the host of this party, uh, you know, what they're recommending or what kind of party it's going to be, and you know what they're expecting in terms of masks? Actually, I, from from what I understand, there's there's no um, there's no mask policy. I don't think many of those. Many of the people there are going to be wearing masks. They haven't been for a while. I, I don't also, uh, I think the area is a little bit more on the conservative side. So I, I don't think there's going to be a lot of masking and a lot of people having been vaccinated. I, I, that's just my hunch. But yeah. 
I'm not 100% sure. Yeah. Well, good luck. Uh, it's, a, it's a question a lot of uh, folks are going to be thinking about in the next few weeks, especially over the summer. I guess if it's outside, that certainly is a good thing because of the air ventilation. But good, but good luck in, in figuring out where to come down on that one, Shannon. I was interested, Aaron, you know, when I asked Dr. Galley at the beginning, how are we going to know if this pandemic is over? And he said, well, when we're not worried about getting infected, <laughs> that's a that's a psychological <laughs> state, <laughs> you know, like yeah, I'm not worried. Is. There's a lot of people that were never worried. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it is sort of a judgment. It's like what and that has really been true all along. What are we personally comfortable with and what are we not comfortable with? Oh, for sure. I mean, that's that's been a really kind of striking part of this pandemic, right? Is just how much of this is up to the individual. I mean, I know people who really carry very low risk and, and have been very safe throughout this, but have been extremely worried, extremely anxious about getting it and taking all kinds of precautions. Whereas other people who frankly should be doing that, you know, for whatever reason, have kind of issues that really put them at high risk. And we're just very sort of not really that concerned. Um, and it just tells you a lot about different personalities and how people kind of approach life and, and science and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, let's get some listener comments in here. Ellen writes, to vaccinate more Latinos and others who can't take off work, can't we mobilize vaccination uh, mobile vans to, to go to workplaces. And Aaron, I would imagine the state has done that um, in places, especially more rural, hard to reach places. There's been a lot of that going on. In fact, most of the counties at this point, at least in the Bay Area, have kind of largely dismantled their mass vaccination clinics and put all their emphasis on kind of these mobile clinics, these neighborhood clinics. They are going to workplaces. They're doing definitely a lot of that work right now. Yeah. Here's a tweet from Ellie. Uh, I'm going to take a wait and see approach. She says, I'm especially worried about the more contagious variants. For example, I hope restaurants maintain more spacing between tables. Uh, Lori Thomas, uh, is that hope going to be realized? Uh, I, w- I went out last night and down in Burlingame and uh, there was maybe a little more distance than usual. Of course, the guidelines hadn't been changed yet. It wasn't midnight. But what's your sense of how many tables are going to be packed in? Is it going to be just like it was before the pandemic? Again, I would say that's a case-by-case basis. But yes, um, you know, you're looking at people that have, um, you know, kept to this distancing for for a long time and, and lost a lot of money for our workers and our, our businesses. And yes, people that I've t- talked to will be moving back to normal spacing uh, at bar counters and normal spacing in the dining room. I do want to say to the listeners, she brings up a great point. Um, please know that there's still outdoor dining uh, for many of our restaurants. And when you make a reservation or you call the restaurant, if you want to dine outside, ask them. Uh, we're entertaining uh, friends today uh, who are fully vaccinated, but um, they don't feel comfortable dining inside yet. So my husband and I will be sitting outside with them um, you know, with appropriate clothes on still to keep warm. <laughs> and um, we do we do recognize that there's many people that don't feel comfortable, but I would assume that if you're going to be dining inside, you know, you should be comfortable with somebody, you know, within that normal radius, which certainly was never six feet from table to table. It's closer to two or three feet yeah. um, normally. And, and Lori, I know a lot of folks were laid off in the bar and restaurant industry, the hospitality mm-hmm. industry. And I'm wondering at this point, uh, you know, anecdotally, hearing a lot of stories about employers of all kinds having a hard time mm-hmm. finding people. Is that the case with restaurants? 
Yeah, unfortunately, that still consider uh, continues to be the case. Um, what what that's resulting in is a lot of people working extra shifts, you know, maybe instead of four days a week, it's six days a week. And so, you know, there is a lot more overtime that people are getting, which is good, they're getting paid more, but it's, you know, it's, it's putting a lot of pressure on people. And again, just be aware that Maybe if you see empty tables and you're like, why can't I get in? It, it might be because we don't have the staff to wait on you appropriately or the folks in the kitchen, enough, enough folks to make that meal. So we just really ask for patience. We ask you call ahead, tell them where you want to dine if you don't, and, and then, and then self-select to where you're comfortable. We're talking about today's reopening with the uh, color tier system in the rear view mirror. Joining us, Aaron Alday, health reporter with the San Francisco Chronicle, and Lori Thomas, executive director of the Golden Gate Restaurant Association and owner of a couple San Francisco restaurants as well. If you want to join us, it's our topic for the full hour, 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. You probably know that by now. We're at KQED Forum. Uh, Let's see. Here's a, a... tweet from Michael who says, any place that sells alcohol is used to making customers show a driver's license, asking to see a vaccination card would not be a giant leap. Uh, Lori, uh, bars and restaurants a little different. I, I don't I haven't gotten carded lately in a restaurant. Uh, but what about that point that it's, uh, you know, especially with these uh, uh, soon to be digital vax cards? I mean, do you think that that's something that, uh, you know, people might uh, restaurant owners might want to use, like just ask people, or do they? Do you think they just want to rely on sort of the honor system? I, I really think that for the most part, you will be seeing people rely on the self attestation. We've we've produced you know uh, posters that say by entering this facility without a mask on, you're attesting, you're you're self certifying that you're vaccinated, and I think people are going to do that. Yes, uh, the the listener is right that bars are more set up to check IDs, but I don't think anybody right now wants to take on the additional liability of doing that, or even worse, put their staff in a potentially conflict situation. We're not security guards, right? We're not TSA uh, trained. Um, And so we're going to go with what the state feels comfortable and what San Francisco feels comfortable doing, which is offering that self-attestation option. All right. We are going to take a quick break, and I'll say goodbye to you, Lori. Lori Thomas, Executive Director of the Golden Gate Restaurant Association. Big day for restaurants, and uh, good luck. I'm sure (laughs) they're going to be very, very busy. Thanks for joining us. Take care. Thanks a lot. All right. Aaron Alday from The Chronicle is going to be with us, and in a minute we'll be joined by one of San Francisco's top health officials, Dr. Grant Colfax. If you'd like to join the conversation... 866-733-6786 is the number to call, 866-733-6786, or get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. I'm Scott Schaefer. Stick around if you would. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. Scott Schaefer here this hour, and we're talking, of course, about the reopening of California. With me, Aaron Alday, health reporter from the San Francisco Chronicle. And joining us now is Dr. Grant Colfax. He is San Francisco's public health director. Dr. Colfax, welcome. 
Good morning, Scott. Well, what are you doing today that you wouldn't do yesterday, <laughs> from a health perspective, <laughs> that is? Well, I think today is a, a day of great hope, cautious optimism, and reason for celebration. Uh, in San Francisco right now, we are in, in very good shape with regard to COVID-19. Our case rates have plunged. Our hospital rates are at an all-time low. And uh, we have some of the highest vaccine, vaccine rates in the, in the, in the nation. Uh, 80% of eligible San Franciscans have received at least uh, uh, one dose. 70% have been fully vaccinated and among the most vulnerable, those San Franciscans 65 and over, our vaccine rate for first dose is 90% and 80% for our second dose. So we are in a good place right now. Um, there's still a lot of work to do. Uh, there are some concerns going forward, but right now um, we are excited uh, to, to reopen San Francisco and to continue our public health work at the same time. It's interesting, you know, students of history will know that in the last pandemic uh, in, the, uh, in the 20th century, 19, about 100 years ago now, uh, San Francisco was an anti-mask city. Uh, and now, we this time around, we've been so compliant. And as you said, the vaccination rate is about 70%, very high by national standards and even by state standards. What accounts for that, do you think? Well, I think that San Franciscans have, throughout this pandemic, have followed the data, science, and facts, um, have been responsive to the information uh, that, that has been coming out about how to protect yourself, your community from the virus as, as much as possible. I think we are a city of neighborhoods, of interconnected neighborhoods, people taking care of each other. And I think that we can't uh, ignore the fact that San Francisco came through the AIDS pandemic and that collective uh, memory, I think, really served us well in terms of coming together with community, with academics, with other healthcare systems and with business leaders and faith leaders across the city to uh, pull together and to keep our death rate low and COVID-19 um, low. And now we're seeing that uh, effort translate into successful vaccine efforts. All right, let's go to the phones and we go to Redwood City and Lisa, welcome. Thank you. My question is, um, if I am in a family that's super anti-vaccination and I want to go get one, what's the most safe healthy place I can go so no one will see me. And, you know, I live in the (laughs) suburbs, but what if I live in San Francisco or what if I live in Lassen County? How can I get that vaccine without being spotted? Thank you. Wow. On the DL, on the the DL for vaccinations. (laughs) Dr. Colfax? Yeah, I I think that the the key point here is that the the safest um, thing to do right now for people concerned about COVID-19 is to get vaccinated. It's really so important. Uh, vaccines are being done in medical settings where it's confidential information. Um, in San Francisco, we have a number of options for people to get vaccine. We really want to ensure that every door is the right door. Our Moscone uh, vaccine site is open until July 14th with, with drop-in appointments. Um, and the caller can find out more information about where to get vaccinated in San Francisco at sf.gov um, forward slash get vaccinated. And again, we have multiple sites uh, and multiple uh, availability for appointments and vaccine. You don't need an appointment. You can drop in in many of these places. But I think it's important to emphasize that even though we're in really um, relatively good shape right now, we still have about 150,000 people in San Francisco who are eligible for vaccine who are not vaccinated. So addressing the vaccine hesitancy is a key part of our work going forward. We're working with community leaders, uh, trusted stakeholders, 
uh, clinicians across our healthcare systems to ensure that everybody has access to vaccine and uh, like this caller can find a way to get vaccinated in a way that's safe and comfortable for them. Aaron Alday, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, San Mateo County, where, where the caller is down in Redwood City. Uh, but do you, have you heard of this before where people are, you know, they need to sort of sneak over to the vaccination center to get the vaccine? That is a new one to me. Um, I feel like, you know, there's there's so many options for getting vaccinated now. And frankly, I mean, any county these days, and, and Dr. Colfax can correct me if I'm wrong, will take people from anywhere. Like you can go if she's nervous with San Mateo County, you can go down to Santa Clara, go to San Francisco, go to Contra Costa. You know, you, you don't have to do it even in your in your own place, as, as far as, yeah. as far Doc, as I know. That, and that's true. Dr. Colfax, uh, Lisa, for example, could take BART up to the Powell Street exit and hop over to Moscone. Yeah, so for the most part, counties are, are open for people to get vaccinated um, uh, across county lines. That's not true for every case, but for the most part, that's the case. And again, I would encourage the caller to uh, check out the vaccine options in San Mateo and then across the Bay Area. There are ways for people to get vaccinated that is confidential, that's safe, and um, really want to encourage the caller to get vaccinated. Uh, people who are fully vaccinated can go back to basically a, 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 a normal, near normal life pre-pandemic. And again, I can't emphasize how important the vaccines are, not only for where we are right now, but you know, we are concerned about seeing some of the variants, the Delta variant, for instance, um, that we uh, are seeing spread across the UK, um, creating a, a swell of new cases there. Um, and as we reopen, we do expect uh, COVID cases to, to start climbing uh, to some degree, uh, more activity and our vaccine rates while high, we still expect to see uh, a, a, an increase in cases as, as we reopen, given the fact that, uh, as I said, in San Francisco, there's still 150,000 people who are who are eligible for vaccine who are not uh, vaccinated yet. Yeah. All right. Well, good luck to you, Lisa. And uh, I'll give out the number again, then go back to the calls, 866-733-6786. And let's go to Mountain View and Alex. Welcome. Oh, hi. Thank you for taking my calls. Uh, I'll ask my question first. Uh, and if there's time, maybe you can let me make a comment. But the question first is, uh, how would your guests compare uh, the performance of Florida uh, versus California in dealing with the coronavirus. Aaron, there's been a lot of reporting on that. KQED is doing reporting on that. Actually, Marisa Lagos from the politics team uh, teamed up with a reporter down in Miami. Uh, that'll be on our air uh, and online shortly. But uh, what is your sense? Th- this topic of Florida versus California actually came up yesterday with the governor's press conference. Uh, what would you say, Aaron, in terms of uh, the, the differences between the two states? Well, I think it's really people really want to draw these comparisons and I'm, I'm guilty of it. I've certainly, you know, I don't think I've written that particular story, but I've done, you know, some some San Francisco versus L.A. And, you know, you kind of like we like to see how we how we stack up. But the truth is, on the whole, it's really hard to draw any comparison. I'm sure Dr. Colpax would want to weigh in on this. But I think one thing that people don't they kind of look at their, the end result and they're like, well, Florida hardly shut down and their cases, you know, they're not that much worse off than California or, or they're better off or, or whatever, you know, Mark, you want to look at. But, you know, the thing is, we California was in a very, I think, precarious position. I mean, we are not Florida. We have, you know, we're wide open. We get a ton of international travel. We were one of the first places that were seated with this virus early on. Um, I think it's very easy to imagine that we would have had utter disaster if we hadn't shut down as early as we did, and it would have just been totally crushing, totally devastating. 
Um, and so you can't look at this sort of end result and compare it without factoring in a whole bunch of what ifs. Like we just don't know what the outcome would have been if we hadn't shut down at all, or if we had followed a Florida path, you know, it's possible that we averted just, like I said, kind of utter disaster. Um, and you just, that's part of the problem with sort of public health. And I'm sure again, the Dr. Colfax would want to weigh in on that, but like when you do a good job, it's hard for people to see that because things look fine. Yeah. You know what I mean? They look a lot better when you've done your job and, and you've taken all the appropriate responses, then things look pretty good. Um, and it's, it's kind of hard to do that math from hindsight and figure yeah. out, you know, well, what was the right path to take. Dr. Colfax, of course, San Francisco and the Bay Area counties were the first in the state uh, and nation to shut down the way we did. And California Governor uh, Gavin Newsom followed suit a few days later. But what are your thoughts about the comparison between how San Francisco, California handled this and other states, which clearly, I mean, clearly politics entered into it? Yes, I, you know, I, I'll leave it to the state uh, states to do the comparisons. I think I'll, I'll focus on San Francisco and the Bay Area. As you said, we were the first uh, uh, area to do the shelter in place uh, order, uh, along with Mayor Breed's leadership with regard to ensuring that uh, we shut the city down as appropriate. Um, I think the other key thing is looking at the data. I mean, San Francisco and the region, we have some of the lowest death rates due to COVID-19 of, of any region in, in, in the country. Uh, and I think now we're seeing uh, that, that uh, a parallel with vaccine rates uh, of the 10 highest of the 10 counties with the highest vaccine rates in the country. Uh, the Bay Area has four of them. So I really think that uh, it's the commitment to public health. It's, again, this interconnectedness that we have in the Bay Area. It's the work with community and health systems across uh, the whole Bay Area, where we really, I think, took the, the initiative early um, and have not let up. And again, um, this next stage, we are going to encourage people to continue to get vaccinated, working with the community to ensure we do that. And I think we are going to continue to have higher vaccine rates uh, than most other regions, including uh, regions of Florida. All right. I know you have to go. We'll uh, say goodbye. Dr. Grant Colfax, San Francisco Public Health Director. Thank you so much and congratulations on getting getting to this day. Thank you. And again, uh, get vaccinated, everyone. Have a great day and uh, have looking forward to uh, seeing what comes next. All right. Thanks. Thanks so much. Aaron Alday from the Chronicle, still with us. And Alex, I think you said you wanted to make a comment and you're still there. So if quickly, if you could. Make a quick comment. So if everyone could go to the New York Times, uh, they published quite recently in March, uh, the excess deaths for the one-year period from last March to the current March. And they found that in California, 70,000 people uh, died in excess as an excess death. And of that 70,000, 50,000 had coronavirus. But the other 20,000 did not die from the coronavirus. They died from the lockdown. And it turns out that if you adjust for population size, California and Florida had identical excess death rates. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to let you go there. Uh, people can do that comparison if they want to. There's a lot of, lot of data on uh, California versus Florida and Texas and other states. Uh, Alex, thanks so much for the call. Um, and let's go back to the phones. Uh, uh, and let's go down to San Diego. John, you're next. Hi. Can you hear me? Yes, go right ahead. Um. As a person living with HIV AIDS for 40 years, I find it kind of very strange to be put in a situation where I feel like I should wear a mask when I go out. And yet, if I wear a mask now, considering what's happened today and the great celebration, which I think is kind of a little strange to be celebrating, considering many people died, that people will look at me and think that 
why aren't you vaccinated? Mm. Or, you know, what's your problem? Or, but I've already encountered it even prior to today mm. when you go out and even family <laughs> members are saying, what are you wearing that for? You don't yeah. need to wear that anymore. Yeah. And I find it just very, very strange. And the other part is no offense to anybody who's, you know, working hard to keep their jobs and stuff like that. But all I've heard all through this conversation is the celebrate, celebration very rarely have I heard the word death or people lost in this conversation. It's all about a celebration and what people have lost, you know, monetary. And I find that just kind of, I don't know. Yeah. No, I, 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 I hear I hear what you're saying. Aaron Alday, obviously, I mean, California lost, I think, more than 62,000 people. Uh, uh, yes, yesterday was... Uh, past the 600,000 mark for the United States. Um, and obviously, it's far from over in a lot of countries. But, you know, human nature is human nature. I mean, there is, it's like the end of World War II. A lot of people died. People were, you know, uh, incinerated, uh, Jews and, you know, the whole thing. And yet, there was celebration because you need that, that you need to have that uh, part of uh, of it to sort of, you know, mark what you've come through. Uh, doesn't mean you're forgetting, but it does mean that you, you want to sort of mark the moment. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I, I totally agree with that. And I think that that is definitely sort of the tenor of today. I think one of the things, though, that's been hard with this pandemic is it's part of the, the sort of inequity and disparity issue is that it's hit some communities so much harder than others. So you have you know, whole neighborhoods, whole communities, whole pockets where they haven't really experienced that much of the devastation, right? Like they don't know anybody who's died or it just hasn't hit them that close. And it has felt like this sort of, this like haunting, right? Like this, this sort of ghost virus, this invisible threat. And now it's like, it's a lot easier to sort of put things aside and celebrate going back to your normal life. If you haven't dealt with that, if the the sort of deaths have been a number have been, you know, just something you kind of see on a page or think about, Versus if you're in a community that's really been hit hard, that's experienced a lot of loss, it probably is, you know, a different, um, today feels a little bit different. Yeah. Well, John, I I wish you well. uh, And I think for all of us, we could just maybe be a little more compassionate and understanding and not make assumptions about people who are or aren't wearing masks going forward. But uh, uh, hope uh, hope you're able to get through it. And uh, we wish you the best. Uh, let's go to Oakland now. And Dan, you're next. Welcome. Oh, yeah. I'm just curious. I'm raising three boys over here. And uh, I, I know that the CDC is having a uh, uh, meeting on the 18th to discuss the myocarditis that's showing up in young males. And I was just kind of interested in the California public health opinion about that mm, and the relative that, that, risk of vaccine. To- yeah, that's from the vaccine. Aaron Alday, I don't know if you're up on that or not, but uh, thoughts? Um, I mean, I'm up on it about as much as anybody. I mean, you know, as much as your, your caller is, um, you know, I know that it is being looked at. I My guess is at this point, the state is not doing its own super close investigation. It's probably kind of ready for the, the federal, the feds to do their kind of work. And then we'll, you know, take a look. We have, you know, our own Western states group that that kind of follows up and checks these things out once the, the feds have taken a look. So I think they're probably waiting for that, that kind of the, the first leaders to take a round at it before they, they figure out if it means anything or what to do about it. Yeah, Dan, thanks for the call. Uh, let's go over to Alameda and Susie, you're next. Welcome. Oh, good morning. Um, I'm just calling to give support to what Alex said. You know, there's been an awful lot of death, and it's great to celebrate success, but I think the success is um, 
not complete yet, and it's a little bit premature to be celebrating because so many people are still not vaccinated, and there are variants of this um, virus out there, you know, just waiting for an opportunity probably to burst forward, and we don't, you know... We don't know what's going to happen. The pandemic is clearly not over. Yeah. Erin, uh, we didn't talk much with uh, Dr. Galley or uh, Dr. Colfax about the variants that are out there. I mean, the good news there, I guess, is that the vaccines seem to hold up pretty well against them. Yeah. I mean, so far, it's, it's all it's all good news about that. I know there's some sort of questions out there about this Delta variant. Um, I mean, all of the vaccines work against it, but it might kind of reduce the effectiveness a little bit. You know, the main issue that I hear heard from people is, you know, as, as your callers have pointed out, we still have a lot of people who aren't vaccinated for various reasons, including kids. And this Delta variant is really infectious. I mean, the folks I've talked to who, who've seen it, they, they're just like kind of in awe of how quickly it can move through a community. And you look at the, what the United Kingdom is dealing with now with, you know, surges there, despite really good vaccination rates. And I think what we're seeing is, is if you have unprotected vulnerable pockets, and this variant gets in there, it will it will absolutely move through that population. Um, so, you know, there certainly is that potential. I think what we're all hopeful for is that, as you, you mentioned earlier, our unvaccinated groups now are largely younger, healthier, not nearly um, at, as high risk of, of really bad outcomes. So, you know, if we do see these sort of clusters and outbreaks that we won't see, you know, we definitely won't see a surge like we experienced in the winter and we won't see quite the devastation. But, you know, it certainly is something, if I were not vaccinated and I've been sort of on the fence, that would definitely be something to push me over is is I would not want to be dealing with that. Exactly. All right. Well, Susie, thanks for that. Thanks to all of our callers for your calls and questions and comments. And thanks to Aaron Alday from the San Francisco Chronicle and Lori Thomas from the Golden Gate Restaurant Association, Dr. Mark Galley from the state of California, and Dr. Grant Colfax from San Francisco's Public Health Department. Thanks to all of you. And uh, it is a big day. Uh, I guess we can forgive, certainly, a little bit of celebration because we've all uh, made a lot of sacrifices in the past uh, year uh, and more, 15 months or so. And let's hope uh, we stay on this path. Scott Schaefer here this hour. I will be back tomorrow. And coming up, another hour of Forum with Mina Kim. Thanks so much for listening. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
all over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.